Hello and welcome and may I wish you a very happy new year. Let me tell you about the Bible in 50 words. God made Adam bit, Noah arced, Abraham split, Joseph ruled, Jacob fooled, Bush talked, Moses balked, Pharaoh plagued, people walked, sea divided, tablets guided, promise landed, Saul freaked, David peaked, prophets warned, Jesus born, God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died, love rose, spirit flamed, word spread, God remained. Just 50 words to summarize the, the teaching of the Bible. Of course, there's a lot much more to it than that. How much do you read your Bible? Uh, and when you read it, how much do you get out of it? In 2019, there was a survey of Protestants, Protestant Christians in the United States, which found that one out of three read their Bible every day and one out of four read their Bible a few times a week. In the same year, 2019, a survey of Christian millennials in the United Kingdom, people between 18 and 35, one out of 10 of them read their Bible every day and 13 out of 100 read their Bible a few times a week. It seems that many Christians expect people to respect a book which they themselves neglect. I wonder if your Bible reading ever becomes a bit of a chore. Does it become rather boring? Do you often miss it? I went through a phase like this in November. I got to the point where I was looking at my Bible and I was thinking, oh no, not again. I just couldn't be bothered. It felt turgid and it wasn't speaking to me. And I was uh, not enjoying reading the Bible at all. So I went to my bookshelves and I found another translation. My problem was I was reading the wrong translation. And when I got this new translation, it happens to be called the Contemporary English Version, I found I picked it up and I read it and I was enjoying it. And when the next day came, I looked at my Bible and I thought, oh, good, I've got to, I must read another section now. And suddenly reading the Bible went from being a negative to being a positive by getting a different translation. Now, a little later, I was shocked to find that the contemporary English version designed for people to be able to read who have a reading age of 10 years old. Educational psychologists have measured the reading abilities of a typical 10 year old and call that a reading age of 10. And that was the reading age of this particular version, which I'm reading at the moment and enjoying. The message of which you've heard has a reading age of that of a nine-year-old. And the New Living Translation has the reading age of a typical 11-year-old. The Sun newspaper is written so as to be read by children with an age, a reading age of eight years old. Most Bibles are probably the longest book you've got in your house. Most Bibles consist of about 1,200 pages, the same length as Boris's Brexit agreement. The Bibles have 1,189 chapters in, so they are long books. 
And if you are trudging through the Bible and it's like wading through thick mud, have you got the right translation for you? If you're still reading the authorised version, also known as the King James Version, well, that was translated and published in 1611, two years after Shakespeare's sonnets. So if you're the kind of person who can read and enjoy and understand Shakespeare, then you will read and enjoy the authorised version. But if you struggle with Shakespeare's English, you are going to struggle with the language of the authorised version. If you went out to buy a newspaper, which one would you buy? If you would go for the Star or the Sun, I would recommend the Message or the New Living Translation for you. If you are likely to read the Mail or the Express, I would recommend the Good News Bible or the New International Version for you. If you're likely to buy the Guardian or the Times or the Telegraph, then the new revised standard version or the English standard version would probably suit you well. Choose a Bible with which you're comfortable in reading. Get the right Bible for you, which draws you in and makes you want to read it more. Now, how can you get more out of your Bible reading? And I'm aware that this is a how to talk. And I'm equally aware that we're all very, very different. One man's meat is another man's poison. Jack Spratt could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean. And I'm aware that what I'm going to suggest may not suit everybody who's listening, but I'm going to do my best to help a bit. Here are some do's. Now, before we come to that, as followers of Jesus, we come to the Bible with the same mindset that Jesus came to the Old Testament with. We come to the Bible as God's word. We come to the Bible to find out about God, God himself. We come to the Bible to find out God's will for our lives. So here are some do's when coming to the Bible. Do make it a daily habit. Don't be legalistic about it. But do seek to read your Bible every day and set yourself a low target. You may remember I said this in the matter of prayer. I said, don't set out to pray for an hour a day. Set yourself a, a short target time for prayer. And I would say the same for the Bible, because if you set yourself a low target, you're far more likely to reach it and then to exceed it. And you'll find that it's not enough and you'll find yourself reading more. Whereas if you try to read too much, then you'll get yourself, uh, it, it, it find yourself wading through muddy waters again. Another do is remember it's a conversation. So talk to God before you read. Expect to speak to God about what you read and expect to hear from God from what you read. Bible reading is a two way conversation. Thirdly, read attentively. Um, are you too old to remember what it was like to receive a love letter? Do you remember when you were courting and your loved one was far away, beyond, long before the eight days of electronic communications, and you had to wait for a love letter from the person that, that, that you loved? There was a woman who bought a book in a bookshop and she tried to read it, didn't get on very, with it very well, but later she met and fell in love with the author 
and that made all the difference. And she read every word avidly. Treat your Bible as a love letter from God. You know that God is love. So as you open his book, read it as if it were a love letter from Jesus to you. And then read systematically, perhaps just a page a day. Start with one page a day and see if you can build it up. You might find it reading notes helpful. The Scripture Union publish such notes. There's Every Day with Jesus. There's the Word for Today. If you need the structural help that comes from using notes, why not purchase some? If you want to read the whole Bible in one year, you can buy a Bible which is published in 365 days worth of readings. But some of them are rather long. Now I'm going to be rather controversial now. I'm going to suggest that you major in the New Testament. You are a signatory to the New Covenant. Therefore, read the New Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant is important. The Old Testament is there. Both are important. The new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed, but major on the New Testament. Now, hear me. I'm not saying never read the Old Testament. What I'm saying is the New Testament is shorter. You need to read it more often than you are reading the Old Testament. Read the New Testament regularly. Read the Old Testament occasionally. And when you're reading, have something in your hand perhaps a highlighter or a pencil. And when something stands out, highlight it or underline it and maybe put the date on which God spoke to you through that particular verse. Now, by the same token, here are some don'ts. I've touched on some of these already. Don't use a translation which you struggle to understand. Don't only read your Bible just when you feel like it, because there will be days when you don't feel like it and it will get neglected. Don't open the Bible at random once or twice and, and seek to get much out of it. You might end up reading that Lazarus was sick and then the lot fell on Jonah. Or you might read that Judas went out and hanged himself. Go and do thou likewise. Don't use the Bible as a random box of sweets which you pick one out at random from and don't avoid the bits that challenge you the most you know the sermon on the mount romans chapter 12 james's teaching on the tongue oh they hurt don't they they challenge um, don't just read your favorite bits and avoid the bits that challenge you the most and don't read from the beginning to the end. Don't start in Genesis and expect to end up in Revelation. You'll lose the will to live in Leviticus, which will be about page 100 of the 1200 pages you're going to get through. Now, when you're reading the Bible, what should you look out for as you read? And I've got an acronym for you. It could be TAP, T-A-P, as you tap into God's word, it could be APT, apt, because as you read, you're looking for something apt for your benefit. But I'm going to use the acronym PAT, PAT, because you all know a PAT. And so as you read God's word, ask yourself how PAT can help you. P is for promise. Now, in preparing for this, I found 
one author said there are 1,260 promises in the Bible. Another put the figure at 8,810. I didn't check up on either. What I can tell you is there are thousands of promises in the Bible. So as you're reading your scripture, look for a promise to rely on. There are promises in the Bible which are for every Christian on every day. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The psalm says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Look out for a promise and remember Jesus' principle about living for the day. Give us today our daily bread. Each day's troubles are sufficient for the day, he said. So look for a promise, not for the rest of your life, not something you're going to build your whole life upon. Just look for a promise for that day and take it away with you. P is for promise. A is for action. What is the Bible telling you to do? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there something in the reading you need to, need to go away and do? Remember what James says in his letter. Be people who do the word, not merely people who hear it and deceive themselves. Someone who hears the word but doesn't do it, you see, is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. He notices himself, but then he goes away and quickly forgets what he looked like. But the person who looks into the perfect law of freedom and goes on with it, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who does the deed, such a person is blessed in their doing. There weren't many mirrors around in those days, usually a piece of bronze polished highly. You wouldn't see your own face very often. And therefore, when you did, you were likely to forget it. But James is saying, when you read, remember and act upon what you read. If reading the Bible makes no difference to the way you live, you are holding God's word in contempt. Mark Twain, who wrote Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, said, most people are bothered by those passages of scripture they don't understand. But I have always noticed that the passages that bother me are the ones I do understand. So A is for an action. T is for teaching. Here there's some teaching in your reading about God, about salvation, about the church, about the human being, about the future. I'm talking doctrine here, the teaching of the Bible about truth. Some Christians ignore their doctrine and have become Jehovah's Witnesses or have converted to Islam or been taken in by the New Age teaching or they've just lost their faith because they didn't have a grip upon what the Bible teaches about truth. We need to know what we believe. We need to understand our faith. We need to know what the Bible teaches about the truth. Too many Christians are suffering from truth decay. So let's have a go and see how this works in practice. And I haven't chosen easy passages of scripture. I've chosen some hard ones. Let's ask Pat if Pat can help. In Leviticus chapter 5, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, when anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally, 
in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. They must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things, pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering and they will be forgiven. Okay, Pat, is there a promise here? Yes, there is. There's a promise in the last bit of the reading about forgiveness, that when you've sinned, you can be forgiven. Is there an action to be taken? Yes, there is. In verse 16, it speaks about making restitution. So if you've done something wrong and you need to put it right, go and put it right before you ask God for his forgiveness. Is there some teaching here? Yes, there is. There's teaching about the sins of omission, and there's teaching here about the atonement. And we know, of course, that the atonement is through the cross of Christ, which covers all our sins. Let's turn now to Job chapter 10 and ask Pat if Pat can help us with this. Job 10. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a strong man that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand? Job is feeling very grumpy. Is there a promise here? No, I, I can't find any promise there. I, I'm not going to pretend that I can. Is there some action there? Well, yes, I think there is, because Job is teaching us here that it's okay to be depressed. And he had been suicidal. He had been cursing the day that he'd been born. He wished he was no longer alive. And now he's saying, I loathe my life. He was in deep depression. And so the Bible is telling us here, it's okay to feel low. It's okay to feel depressed. God knows, God understands. It's even okay to challenge God. Job gets really stroppy with God, doesn't he? He's really angry at the way God is treating him. Job feels it's so unfair. And he moans to God about the way God is treating him. Is there any teaching in these short verses? Well, yes, I think so, because the whole premise of Job's complaint is that God is just, God is fair. So how could God allow this to happen to him when, by definition, God is a fair and a just God? Let's turn now to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And this is that very strange parable of Jesus where a manager uh, was going to get the sack and the manager called in all the people who owed money to his master and he reduced their debts. And it says towards the end of this parable that the, the, the manager, the master, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Jesus says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. 
I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Is there a promise there in this parable of the dishonest steward? Yes, there is. Jesus speaks about the eternal dwellings. Remember the many rooms that Jesus has gone to prepare for us? Is there an action to be taken? Yes, there is. Be shrewd with your money, says Jesus. Sometimes worldly people are more shrewd than Christian people. Sometimes Christian people will watch a programme on the television, send off £10 to some ministry as a ministry gift, expecting and being promised £100 in return. And that Christian is being taken in. They're not being shrewd with their money. And by contrast with the dishonest manager, every Christian should be honest with their cash. Is there some teaching in this parable? Yes, there is. Because Jesus hints here at the rewards that God gives to those who trust in his son and who obey Jesus and therefore have behaved well with their money. God rewards those he can trust. So Pat has helped us to get a blessing out of that very difficult and rather strange parable of Jesus. Let's wind up this talk. You know the proverb, give a person a fish and they will eat for a day. Teach a person to fish and they can eat for the rest of their lives. And I've tried this morning uh, in this talk to teach how your Bible reading can come to life and be a blessing to you for the rest of your life. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that verse is the motto for these Bible talks. I hope that you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Most of these talks are knowledge based. But Paul says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. If the knowledge you're getting from your Bible reading or the knowledge you're getting from these Bible talks doesn't help to build you up in love, then they are failing. If you're not growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then your growth in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't doing its job. If you think of somebody, W, who knows their Bible five times better than you, is W five times more loving than you? If you know somebody called X who knows their Bible five times better than you, is X five times more gracious than you? If you know somebody called Y who knows their Bible five times better than you, is Y five times more patient and kind than you? If you think of a person called Z who knows their Bible five times better than you, is Z five times less nasty, less spiteful, less lustful, or less covetous than you? Is this person's five times greater knowledge making an atom of difference to the way that person spends their lives? We read our Bibles in order to know Jesus Christ better 
and to live our lives better, to live them for, for him. So read your Bible as a matter of loving habit, not legalistic duty. Ask Pat, promise, action, truth, teaching. Ask Pat to help you as you read. Read with your will as well as with your eyes. Read that you may grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As a closing prayer, I'd like you to listen to this wonderful song written by Pete Townsend. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfil in us all your purposes for your glory. Oh, <laughs> 